You know, this has been a long time coming. Uh, the young adult Vespers in Portland. A young adult Vespers for Portland, the whole greater region coming together. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, is, is this not needed? You know, do you guys want to come to a really cool young adult Vespers? Do you see the vision? I mean, what if we had all of these seats filled, you know what I'm saying, with, with young adults, and, and all of the seats over there filled, and all of the seats over here filled, until the whole place was just so packed full of people, because it's the young adult gathering, you know, oh man, Friday night, this once a month deal, man, that's the vision, you guys are a part of that, did you enjoy the music, let them know, come on. So, so the way I work this is I hit this thing. No, no, I don't. Do you, uh, can you like flip it and stuff and do things? Um, somebody press the button. Just follow along with me. Just press the button. And could you hand me my Bible? Um, kind of uh, the future of this is a little unclear or unknown. Now, I don't want you to, to feel like, Wow, they did one, and then they're never going to do it again because that's not the case. In fact, the future of it is very sure and very unknown. And I'm going to appeal to you guys that you come the second Tuesday of October, if you can, 7 o'clock to the conference office. There was a meeting. Uh, three youth pastors, three churches, uh, some young adults showed up to a meeting at the conference office a week ago. Um, actually, this past week on Tuesday. All right? And at that meeting, they discussed, they said, what are we going to do with young adults in Portland? And they said, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start a Vespers. And, uh, and uh, then they said, well, well, they're already doing a Vespers. Um, they just started it. It starts this Thursday. And they said, all right, well, then let's get behind that Vespers, and let's do everything we can to support it. That was this Tuesday, okay? So that was just like, like a couple days ago. The news hasn't gotten out yet, all right? So they said, all right, well, we're going to do a Vespers. But there's some things that are up in the air, like, like, well, when exactly are we going to do it? Once a month? Well, we already had that figured out, you know, but they have their own ideas. So there's a meeting, October, the uh, second Tuesday of October. You need to be there, if you can, at 7 o'clock at the conference office so we can nail down that this is going to happen. You know what I'm saying? I want you guys there. I really do. Because the vision is, is, a, is a powerful gathering of young people in Portland, young adults. Anyway, so that's the vision. I just quickly want to point out one thing. These uh, two guys back in the back here are our sound guys tonight. They're both faculty members at PAA. This would not be possible if not for them. So please put your hands together in a big way for them. You guys are awesome. I, you know, we fully, fully, fully appreciate you. I can't tell you how many countless hours they spend, personally, just the two of them in particular, outside of classroom hours, to even add another element, which is nowhere even close to their job description. I mean, let's be serious. Who are we? <clears throat> anyway, so you guys are amazing, and I love you. All right. <clears throat> another quick... Announcement of note. That is that Pastor Greg 
is looking for some sponsors to go with him to Wild Horse Canyon next week. If anybody is interested, female sponsors, he doesn't need guys, sorry, you're out. Wild Horse Canyon is like basically a resort in the middle of, of, of the desert of central Oregon. It's a glorious place to go. Uh, see him afterwards. So, here we go. Reconnect. The very first one. You guys get to be a part of it. Then you get to tell all of your friends and then come again. Hopefully, we'll be here the next third Thursday, which will be the third Friday of October. The third Friday of October. So I would just in, uh, encourage you guys to uh, tell millions of people and uh, you know, tell them that there's food. There's amazing music, and, uh, and the speaking will only get better from here because somebody else will be doing it. <laughs> um, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I just know that there are thousands of young people in the city of Portland, and their hearts are, are cut open, Lord. They're just looking for a place to go. And they wish that Portland would give them a place to go. Lord, I just want to say that we want to be that call, Lord. We want to be the answer to that call, Lord. Um, We want to give the young adults in Portland a place to go. A place where contemporary worship happens, where we can connect with you in the way that we know how, Lord. A place where where we get outside of the box and the things we do, Lord. I just, I just want to pray that tonight this would be a powerful experience for us, Lord. Let your Spirit be with us, in the midst of us, blessing us, guiding us, teaching us, Lord. And as we look at your Word and some of the things that you've laid on my heart, I pray that, that tonight that the Holy Spirit would press upon our hearts the truth in your Word. And that He would give us understanding and grace Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, I pray in his name. Amen. Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says some words to his disciples. He says some important words. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 13, or if you press the button, it'll go there. Matthew chapter 13, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure... Okay, so he's taking the kingdom of heaven and he's comparing it to a treasure. And I'm reading out of King James. This is the NASB. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field which when a man has found it, he hideth for the joy thereof. He goes, he sells all that he has and he buys that field. So guys walking down in the middle of this field, he trips stumbles over something. He doesn't know what it is. He turns around, kind of digs away this little box. He pops it up. He starts prying at the lid and brushing off the dirt and wiping it off. And finally he gets it open. He looks inside and he's captivated. The thing that that, that is inside of that box, he is willing to sell his entire life for. He's willing to sell his vehicle 
He's willing to sell his house, his couches, his water skis, his snow skis, his snowmobile. He's willing to sell every single thing that is important to him. He's willing to sell his family, his friends. It doesn't matter. He needs what's inside of this box and he sells it all. But before he does that, he buries it so nobody else. Then he goes and he sells it all and he buys this field because it's so important to him. And he walks in and finally he owns it and he takes it out. Oh man, that's what the kingdom of God is like. What's he saying there? Saying the kingdom of God is so amazing that somebody comes across the kingdom of God and they start hearing about it and they start wrestling with it and they start seeing it. And then it starts a fire inside of them passionate fire, one that burns so hard that they just got to do whatever they can to have that, to get in that, to live with that, to be a part of that. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. When I was 13 years old, my dad was my best friend. My dad was my best friend for a lot of reasons, one of which was because we had been through a lot together. My parents had gotten divorced when I was younger And we had been there for each other. My mom and my dad stood in the hallway and they said, who are you guys going to go with? And my sister said, mom. And I said, dad. And there we were, separated. We walked away that day. And my dad, you know, I was with him for like three weeks. And then there was this painful separation where mom got custody and I was torn away. And it was just awful. And it tore my heart. And but, but I would get to see him every other weekend, and, and we were so close, and it was a tough time. And man, when he needed a shoulder to cry on, I was that shoulder. I was a little kid, but I was that shoulder. And when I needed a shoulder to cry on, I cried in my dad's lap. We were best friends. When I would go to his house on the weekends, man, he would spend all his money. We'd just go do fun things. Sometimes we'd sit at home and we'd watch movies from the beginning of the weekend to the end of the weekend, not stopping one time. Sometimes we go to the horse races. We do all sorts of things. My dad was my best friend. Man, I loved that guy. And when I was 13, I started taking Bible studies. My life started changing. I started having some different things happening to me. Not those type of different things, but different things, you know. I started feeling like I needed to be a better person or something. So I started, the pastor came up to me and said, hey, would you like to have Bible studies? I said, all right, I'll have Bible studies with you. And he takes me in, he sits me down, and, and we start having these Bible studies. My pastor was awesome, by the way. And he was like, you know, um, how do you feel about this? And I would say, yeah, yeah, I kind of, I see what you're saying. And I studied along with him and I was getting intrigued and I started learning about this Jesus character. I started wanting to get to know him more. I started studying with this pastor in a serious way. You know, it became more frequent the times that we would spend together. And at some point he said, do you want to be baptized? And I said, absolutely. That's exactly what I want to do. And it, it was at that moment like, like I had found this treasure in my life and I had to have it. You know, the summer went by and, uh, and we had planned the date. And there it was, my baptismal date. And I remember that day and it was important to me. I know some people just think it was a ritual or a ceremony, but it meant something to me. It meant a lot to me. And when my stepdad got up and he sang, I was, I was tearing up and... and and then I got down in the water and I remember going down and coming back up and just feeling like I was clean, feeling like, like I was forgiven, feeling like I was free, feeling like, wow, this is, exactly, this is exactly what this is supposed to be. And I remember when I came out, there was something inside of me that said, this, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. 
and I latched on to it. Now, I had become a Seventh-day Adventist. And this is not a sermon about the Sabbath. But this is a story about my life. It has to do with the Sabbath. So, I come out of the water. My dad was there. He seemed to be encouraging me. A couple weeks later, I went up to him and I said, Dad, I want to start keeping the Sabbath. Now, if you remember, I only got to see him every other weekend, which means that we would maximize our Saturdays, if you know what I'm saying. Maximize our Saturdays, going to theme parks, uh, watching movies all day long, hunting, fishing, you know, whatever. We would maximize our Saturdays. And at that point, I felt convicted that, that, that I wasn't going to go down that route, that those were not necessarily things that I wanted to do. And so I said to him, Dad, that's not, that's not where my interest lies right now. And my dad said, I don't think that you really know what you're, what, you're, what you're talking about here. You know, you need to really study this out and figure out, you know, what you're talking about because you don't really know. And then he, would, then he would say, you know, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, that your days will be long upon this land. And I'm a, I'm a lot older than you, and, and I'm giving you good advice here. Well, you know, time went on, but, but it doesn't change the fact that in my heart, God was telling me to do something. And so I said to dad again and again, you know, I want to keep the Sabbath. And I remember he finally said, all right, you can keep the Sabbath. And I thought, wow, that was pretty easy that time. And I went back to my dad's house two weeks later, and all of a sudden it got intense. I went into the back room, and I knelt down, or I put my bags down, and dad said, it's junior hunt camp on or junior hunt day on November 11. Are you going to be there? And I said, well, dad, is it on a Saturday? And he, uh, he said, I don't know, let me go check. And so he went and got the calendar. And for some reason, I felt pressure. I felt like something was about to happen. Something was about to explode. Something was going somewhere. And so I got down and I took out my Bible and I opened it up. And I, to this day, I have no idea what I opened it to. But I remember that what I opened it to gave me very, very much a feeling of reassurance. A feeling that, hey, you're doing the right thing. That God's going to be with you. You're taking the right steps. Just keep on the side of Jesus and and, and then, um, then my dad came back into the room while I was down there, and I, I shut my Bible, and I put it away. And, uh, and he said, fine, if you want to be like that, I'm taking you home. Get your bags. And at first, this was just like an immediate, like I didn't understand what was happening. And, and so I said, all right. And I went over, and I got my bags. And I'm 13 years old, you know. So I started walking out. I walked outside. I got in the car, and we started the, the hour drive to my mom's house. And as we're going down the road in this car, my dad keeps looking at me and he keeps saying things like, like, don't you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. It's in the Ten Commandments. And I would say, Dad, the Bible in the Ten Commandments says, remember the Sabbath day. And, it's, and Jesus says that if you love your mom or your dad more than me, you're not even worthy of me. I'm just trying to do what he's telling me to do, Dad. And we were crying. And our hearts were being poured out in this moment. And, and here we are driving down the road. And my dad looked over at me and he asked me a question. He said, do you realize that if you go through with this decision that I don't want to see you again until you're 18 and old enough to make these decisions for yourself? And at that moment, it was as if he ripped my heart out. I truly was facing a life and death decision because I couldn't imagine living without my dad. But at the same time, 
I couldn't imagine doing anything else except following this passionate fire that was burning inside of me to follow Jesus. My dad didn't realize it. But at that moment, all he was doing was fanning it. I didn't realize it. But right then, he was fanning that fire. And I want to submit to you that right now, Jesus is looking for a generation, a generation of young adults, a generation of youth, a generation of people that are on fire for him, that want the kingdom so bad they're willing to give everything they have, their entire lives, they're willing to die for it, but they're willing to live for it too. Jesus is looking for a generation on fire for him. We're going to be looking at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tonight. This is a crazy story. If you have your Bibles, open to Daniel chapter 3. If you don't, we have this really great little clicker, and it's going to take us to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is a crazy story because it comes right after Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, right? He has this dream of this statue. I mean, we've all heard the dream. I mean, I don't really have to tell you all about the dream. He has a dream of this statue and all this stuff. And what happens? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get down on their knees and they pray. And when they pray, God gives them the answer to the dream. Daniel goes in and he says, this is the answer to the dream. Nebuchadnezzar, as a result of that, a little bit of time goes by, he starts forgetting. He starts forgetting who it was that gave him the dream. He starts forgetting who it was that gave him the answer to the dream. He starts forgetting all of these things, and this is what he does. Daniel 3, verse 1. There we go. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, about 90 feet. What does yours say? 60 cubits. All right. And a breadth thereof of six cubits, and he set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now I want you to get a picture of what Babylon looks like. Babylon was the greatest city on earth, and Nebuchadnezzar knew it, right? He lived inside of this giant city, all right? It had two walls. There was an interior wall in which the city was located inside of. Then there was this long, flat desert region, which was called the Plain of Dura. And then there was this gigantic wall. You guys have heard of this wall. It's the one where they put chariots on top of it, like six or ten chariots, I don't remember. And they could ride it around the entire city on top of that outer wall. It was the one with the Issachar Gate. You ever heard of the Issachar Gate? The big blue one, the one with the lion and the wings on it, the one that's famous, the one that they wish they could find because it'd probably be worth trillions of dollars if they did. This big Issachar Gate, this Babylon, almost a wonder of the world. I wonder where it is. It's this gigantic thing. And right in the middle of these two gates, these two things, is the plain of Dura. And this plain was where the, the whole army could fit. So it's not just like this little region here. It's a region between one big gate and another gigantic gate. <clears throat> Huge. And Nebuchadnezzar built a golden image and he set it down in there. And you know what else he did? He started then, by the way, we're going to skip a whole lot. So uh, heads up. Uh, so, so then he calls together all the people, starts getting the princes, the, 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 the important people, the sheriffs, you know, all the governors from all the different places. He gets them together, all right? And he sets up this, wow, I heard myself. He sets up this, this golden image, and right next to it, he sets up this fiery furnace, right? You guys are with me? You guys have heard the story? 
All right, so then he gets all of these people together and they're just kind of hanging out, having a good time. Hey, Larry, how's things going over there where you're at? You know, how's things going over there in Egypt? You know, whatever. They start talking, all these princes, and some guy pipes up on the horn and starts tuning in and says, Hey, here's the deal. Daniel chapter, chapter 3, verse 4. It says, The herald cried aloud and he said, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear all these beautiful instruments, verse 5, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, this doesn't leave a lot of time to think about it, okay? If you're a Jew or if you're in charge of somebody, you're standing here, and the guy just tells you that if you don't get down and you don't bow down, you know, uh, you know well, that's what you're supposed to do. And in verse 6, it says, Whoever does not bow down, the same will be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So the... So if you don't bow down, you're going to go in this furnace. And he's about to play the music. And uh, here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what are they going to do? We all know the story. Music gets played. They stay standing. What happens? You know, all of a sudden, these guys, these snitches, really, these guys, these guys should be thankful for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for saving their lives in a previous chapter. Because remember when Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember the dream he was going to kill him? Well, they start going up to the king because they're jealous about the position. And they say, hey, king, these guys that you put in charge of all the providence of Babylon, they will not bow down nor serve your God. I want you to take note of what they say in verse 12. It says, there are certain Jews who you have set over the fairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. I don't know if you find it of significance, but I find it of significance that they said that they do not serve you or worship you. They do not serve your gods or worship your gods. Those are two different things in their mind. To show up to a worship is one thing, but that's not the only way that you live for the God that you worship. You serve him too. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on a consistent day in, day out basis were serving God. Even though they were Jews taken away from their homeland, stuck somewhere else and slaves, they were still serving their God faithfully. They were in charge of this whole other kingdom that wasn't theirs, but they were serving God, not Nebuchadnezzar. And these guys come up and they say, they don't serve you, nor do they worship the gods that you set up. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 13, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them and said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image that I have set up? I'm going to give you a second chance. Now listen, if you hear the sound of the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship. The image that I have made, well, then it's good. But if not, let me tell you what. You will be cast this same hour in the midst of the fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Here's this king sitting up on his throne, all high and mighty. And he's looking down at these three little pipsqueaks. 
as he's looking around at thousands of people. Now, these aren't just thousands of random people. These are thousands of people that are in charge of thousands of people, that are in charge of thousands of people. This guy is the ruler of the world, and he's looking at this gigantic city. He's looking at these gigantic walls. He's looking at this gigantic image. He's looking at the fiery furnace, all these men with swords. It's all his. He owns it. And he's looking at these three little guys, and he's saying, who do you think you are? You know what? If you don't bow down this next time, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And who is this God that you think you serve? Oh, man. Who does this guy think he is? I want to play for you a song right now. I'm not actually going to play it, but we're going to listen to it. This is probably one of the most incredible songs. It's amazing.
These guys were standing here staring at this king with this life or death offer, this life or death consequences. This king was looking down at them with all of his glory and they looked at him and because the fire inside of their heart was burning, so much brighter and harder and lighter and and more potent than that stupid fire that the king had, there was nothing the king could say to take that treasure from them. There was nothing the king could do to their flesh and bones to take that treasure for them. And they were willing to die. Take us to the fire. Please throw us in, king. I'm begging you, put me in the fire. If you're going to give me that kind of question, that kind of choices, put me in the fire. Man, because I'm going to burn. Whether or not my God saves me, I'm going to burn. Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if God chooses not, even if, God chooses not to deliver us. We're not going to serve your gods and we're not going to worship your golden image which you have set up. It doesn't matter what you offer me, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not going to bow down to that thing. I'm not going to serve that thing because I'm on fire. And the king out of his fury and anger looks down and he looks at the two ugliest guards that he has standing next to him and the big mean ones. And he says, you, you go tie them up and take them to the fire and heat it up seven times worse because now he looks like a, a, an idiot in front of all of these people standing around here. And they tie him up and they start pulling him toward the fire. And I love the song because the song is so great. It's like a dichotomy. They take him down there and they're getting thrown into the fire. And right before they get in the fire, they start to say God, Lord, burn us up. Burn us up. Burn us up with the fire of your desire. Man, it's so great. And they get to the fire and they look. And I imagine that in the moment that they saw Jesus inside of that fire and the people are dying all right next to them from the heat, the moment they saw Jesus, there was nothing that could keep them out of that fire. Here they were, and because the fire inside of them was burning so much brighter, Jesus, they're running right towards the guy that's going to save them from the fire, right towards the guy that they're serving, right towards the guy that they're worshiping. They run in there, and boom, here they are with Jesus. Fiery furnace is nothing for somebody who is on fire. Jesus is looking for a generation right now, of young adults, of young people who are so on fire for him that they're willing to give up everything, their life included, their friends, their family, everything, just to get a hold of this treasure, just to be a part of this thing, to get it inside of their lives, inside of their hearts, and to let it burn, to let it burn to the world so they show everybody, I'm in love with God. I want to share it with everybody. I serve God. I want to show it to everybody. I'm all about Jesus. Are you on fire? Are you passionate for Jesus? Are you so passionate that you're seeking him constantly, day by day, moment by moment? Are you on fire for God? Is there something inside your heart that is burning, that is burning hotter than any fiery furnace? Are you on fire for God? And if not, do you want to be? 
man, do you want to have that fire that you see some people have and you're just like, what the heck? And those people have got it together. They're weird, but still. I don't want to leave you guys with just a theological proposition or a question. Can you take us down to the the part where we get practical? I want to give you, in the last moment or two, some practical ways that you can get that fire burning, that you can have that fan blowing on the flames of your heart, that you can fall in love deeper and deeper with Jesus. The first one, get active. Get active. Find a place to live out mission. Unless you're doing mission, unless you are actually serving Jesus and you're getting, oh, this is what I'm talking about. Why haven't I seen that yet? Get active. (laughs) Search for, well, search for people your age and gender to companion with you on the journey through this, all right? I'm talking about mission, you know? There's young adult groups all over the city. There really are. We got a young adult group at Beaverton. We got a young adult group at Pleasant Valley. There's a young adult group in Vancouver. We're trying to start young adult groups in your churches everywhere. Get active. Get inside there. Get involved. I'm sure they've got ministries like Feed the Homeless, Give Blood, all sorts of crazy things. Get active. Show Jesus your ministry. Serve. Get intimate. Prayer changes people. Young people and old alike, and I can't emphasize this enough. I believe that prayer is powerful. It changes people. When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing being killed, they went to their knees and they started asking Jesus for the revealing of the secrets. Prayer changes people. Find a prayer partner that is your age and gender and pray with them as often as you can. There is something about having somebody your age and gender who's in this journey that gives you companionship. Somebody, excuse me, that makes your prayers all that more potent and powerful. You might know Josh Woods. He came and spoke this summer for the Young Adult Retreat. That's mine. That's me and him. That's who we are together. We pray. Now we do it on Skype. We used to go out to the railroad tracks at Southern. We used to go into the woods on weekends and go camping just so that we could pray. Like we would take a praying camping trip. Like, hey, let's get into the woods this weekend. We need to get some time in the prayer. You know what I'm talking about? And then just the two of us, sometimes Shana would come along. We go out there and we, we just pray. And it's so intense. It's so powerful. It so builds your relationship. Prayer is powerful. Get intimate and give out. All right? Now, he was trying to get me to change this, but I'm not going to change it. I, I told him I wasn't going to change it. Find a reason to study the Bible. Sometimes it's hard. You know, we're looking for devotional books. We're looking for something from the Bible that we can get into it because, man, let me be honest with you. I think I know every single story in the whole Bible, and somehow it's just not worth reading anymore. You know, some people have that attitude. That's not right, you know. There's got to be a way to make it crucial to you. And let me tell you, sometimes pastors have it a little bit easier. You know, they got to stand up here and say something. So what do they do? They have a reason to study the Bible. And then once they study the Bible, they share what they've been studying. So they're putting all this stuff together. But, but like how often is the congregation sharing? Maybe they share through their music, which is amazing. Maybe they share how, how I don't even know how else they share. They share like with announcements. Like the, and we call that sharing or something, you know, like, hey, well, I did announcements this week at church. You know, I'm giving back. That's what I do. Wow. I mean, like, like when was the, was the last time that you said, hey, 
I'm going to start a project for Jesus. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a really great text, and then I'm going to take a piece of clay, and I'm going to illustrate it in a piece of clay. Yeah, I haven't done that either. But I do it in other ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, you know, but like you might be that artwork creative type person. You might be the type that needs to paint a picture, that needs to take and, and wrap some of the Bible, memorize it and wrap it. You know, those people are kind of interesting to me. I look around and I go, wow, all right, that's cool, whatever, you know. But, but that's, that's what they do, and that's their way of struggling with the word. They're getting it, they're moving it, they're pushing it, they're pulling it, and then they get something that they like, and they start, they start working with some of their creative skills. You know what I'm talking about? They take a plain old text, and they just start twisting it into how God made them creative. you got to find a way to give out what you get creative with, too. And I just want to offer you the opportunity at Reconnect. Suppose you make a little clay sculpture, my friend. You bring it, and I'll give you time to stand up here and say, I was reading Judges chapter 6, and I just decided to make this porcupine-looking thing, which is a fleece that Gideon put out. And, and that's the text that I struggled with. You know what? I'll give you the time to share about that, that clay thing that you put together. And if you rap, I might go, well, you know, maybe you should run that by me real quick. But, you know, then I'm going to go, all right, if, if it's good or, or if, not even if it's good, if it's of, uh, you know, the nature that, you know, is Christian, then I'll get up here and wrap some, some scripture, you know what I'm saying? Like share, find a way to get creative, and then this is your outlet. This is your young adult outlet. You can, you can plan. It doesn't have to be every week. You know what I'm talking about? Be working on a project for Jesus and then get up front and share it. Share your project that you've been working on with Jesus. This is how I wrestled with the scripture. And this is what, I'm gonna, this is what I did with it. And, and I just want to show you guys. This is what I've been working on. Plan a project for Jesus and then give out. Because pastors aren't the only ones that are supposed to be up here preaching. It's a waste of time. If that's all it is. You know what I'm saying? We need to get everybody involved with giving to Jesus. Sharing up front. So I, these are just some ways. Some, some ways that you can get creative and get passionate inside your life and your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for an opportunity, Lord. An opportunity to talk to and with these people. And God, we're just praying right now in a special way that that you would take this experience here, Lord, and that you would make it grow, and that you would make it powerful, and that you would make it reach, Lord. God, I just want to pray for the message tonight, that our hearts would be knit together, Lord, and that they would become on fire for you. God, I want to burn. I want to burn so brightly that everybody sees me burning in passion for you, God. You're my number one. You're the only one. I found this treasure and I just can't let it go. I'm selling everything I, I have for it, Lord. I just pray that we would all be of that same mind, Lord. Jesus, you're so important. Bless us this Sabbath day in Jesus' name. Amen.